Hello, welcome to the East Coast InfoSec Podcast, episode number 14. I'm your host, Daryl McLeod. And I'm Grant Woodrow. And uh, a little disclaimer here first. Our thoughts and opinions are our own and do not represent our employers. Um, so hopefully everybody's surviving out there in this new, weird, strange world we're living in. And um, our guest this week is Eric Conrad. Uh, he's the CTO of Backshore Communications. Uh, they focus on hunt teaming, intrusion detection, incident handling, and penetration testing. He's also a graduate of the Science Technology Institute with a Master's of Science degree in Information Security Engineering. And in addition to the CISSP, he holds the prestigious GIAC Security Expert GSE certification, as well as GPEN, GCIH, GCIA. GCFA, GAWN, and GCEC certifications. Can okay, read for a second here. And, and he's also technically he is from the East Coast. He's in Maine, yes. and he might as well be a maritimer. Just <laughs> slightly like, south of the border. Like yeah, south, south, of, south of the wall. Yeah, yeah. He's, we, we kind of you know he's kind of like an honorary maritimer. Those people in Maine, you know, they might as well be here yep. from here. Yes. Uh, and again, his son also attends Dalhousie University. And uh, he's speaking in Halifax, and he, he's actually speaking at B-Sides Halifax on May yeah. 22nd. So uh, welcome to the show, Eric. Thanks for having me. It's uh, great having you here. Um, so again, also, I also want to mention, too, he's all, you're also like a regular, like Paul Security Weekly. You're on the other, all the big podcasts. Not a regular, but I've been on, certainly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so we really appreciate you taking time to uh, come chat with us in our little podcast here. I have time. That's fine. <laughs> Everyone so, has time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little more about yourself that I did mention in the intro. Well, you, you pretty much covered it. Uh, you know, I'm, I run my own company here on Peaks Island, Maine. And if you never heard of Peaks Island, Maine, it's an island in Portland Harbor, Portland, Maine. About two hour ferry ride out. And we've been running, me and my wife have been running uh, Backshore Communications for about 12 years now. So I was, before that, a long InfoSec career, but uh, my, my last employee role was as a HIPAA security officer, which in the U.S. is the, well, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. It's the U.S. regulation governing healthcare. So I was a HIPAA security officer for a, the second largest healthcare provider in New England, and I decided to spread my wings and fly 12 years ago, start my own company, and that's gone very well. And I'm a, I'm a fellow with SANS, so I teach with SANS. I, I write uh, courseware for SANS. And I have a business role now with SANS for growing the uh, Blue Team curriculum, me and Seth Meisner. We're co-curriculum chairs of the Blue Team operations um, curriculum. And beyond that, I, I like to get out and I will network with people like you folks and uh, speak. And so I, I speak uh, I speak a ton at SANS, not just teaching, but also night talks and uh, podcasts, webcasts, all that kind of stuff, but also third-party stuff like DerbyCon and Atlantic Security uh, Con, and um, well, uh, you know, Atlantic Security Con, of course, which uh, was there last year. Uh, we're not doing it this year, but I'll be there next year. Um, Security Union Con, as mentioned, DerbyCon, and uh, my first B-sides, B-sides Halifax. Uh, as I'm speaking next week, I'm very excited. Yeah, no, it's great, and uh, yeah, that was kind of a uh, kind of grew organically out of uh, ATL SideCon. I know one of our uh board members he's one of the organizers of that so that kind of came up in a hurry yeah there was one about nine years ago that's the first yeah. ATL site gone <laughs> and it, it wasn't very well attended <laughs> so, <laughs> it was like the day after ATL SecCon. so I, I, I was there though um but yeah no it's interesting and you're also an author 
uh, the CISSP yep. study guide and the 11th hour right. CIS study guide, which I have read both of them numerous times in my pursuit of the CISSP. Yeah, I think that's how me and you kind of connected online, right? Yeah, it was Twitter. That, yeah, yeah, Twitter. I yeah, posted Twitter, something, yeah. and you said, uh, you said, Maggie said, oh, did you find the Blade Runner Easter egg? <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think I ever did. <laughs> <laughs> well, you missed more than one, so get back on it. Come on. Yeah. Pay attention, Daryl. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Serious. Yeah, I know. And I did read the book. I actually read the book twice. I did read that book twice. But there you go. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's like my recommended Bible for people who want to uh, – Get that certification, which we'll talk more and more about later. Uh, yeah, just a quick story on that. When, when Singers, Singers actually approached me to write a book, and they approached me to write a book on pen testing, penetration testing. Hmm. And I thought, like, you know, I thought about penetration testing books that were out there that were good, and I can think of a lot of them. And I'm kind of wired a little differently. I'm like, where, where's the need? Where's the gap? Where, where's something I can do that, you know, can fill like a gap? And I counterpitched to Singris, I want to write a CISP book that doesn't suck. That's what I said. <laughs> and uh, like, yeah, do that. That sounds good. Do that. And that, that's what you read, Daryl. That was yeah. my goal. Yeah. No, and that's it was it. Like, you know, and it's specifically made for people who do have experience. Right. Like, because that's, you know, I would, I read some other books. I attempted to read other books. But, <laughs> they were, but they were just, I was way too boring. And I'm like, oh, I really, I don't need to know all this technical detail. Just make it concise and to the point and easy to read. And that's, yeah, your book's fantastic. I recommend, I still recommend it to people all the time. It's, it's, it's fantastic. So Grant, you got to read it. I gave my copy away. <laughs> all right. So, over. so it's over. Yeah. Yeah. I'm rage quitting. Rage quitting. Um, no, no, for a good cause though. Um, since the, since I've been doing like the penetration path and all that stuff, um, you know, my employer, basically told me I don't worry about the CISSP. So I kind of turned it around and said, okay, well, I got the 11th hour book, and I also had the Sean Harris one, which is like that massive, thick mm-hmm. uh, book. And uh, I was just trying to think of a way of, of you know, kind of passing it along type of thing. Um, so at B-Side St. John's back in September 2019, I actually gave it to uh, a fellow there that was um, kind of volunteering at the conference um, recommended by the organizers so I gave him both books uh, for free just because they said that he was really dedicated, that he did a lot for the conference and he was kind of like really pursuing that stuff so I don't know I, I, I thought that was a good cause you I know I didn't give it away like you know here just throw this <laughs> please, little please take this. Right? please <laughs> You can do whatever you want with it. That's fine. I was kidding. But no, that, that is a good cause. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. So where, where my path kind of diverged to not needing that anymore, I just wanted to kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. something good and, you know, pretty much give someone who is pursuing that stuff uh, two books that are basically essential, right? Because mm-hmm. basically how I was told you get the 11th hour, you read through that. If you don't understand something fully or you need to deep dive, then you switch to the other book yeah, right because right. it's yeah. insane detail right so mm-hmm. anyways yeah that's that's my story <laughs> 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 so i had it in my possession at one time there you go <laughs> um so yeah so why don't you tell us how you got into infosec speaking like you penetration testing and all that stuff so how, how did how did this all start for you what what was that spark 
Well, it was a long time ago. I'm uh, in my early 50s, so uh, you know it's funny you read these things saying you'll have by the time you turn 50, you'll have three different careers or four different careers. I've really had one. This uh, it's very fortunate. So in in college, I was an English major, comp sci minor, um, and the reason I wasn't uh, I wanted to be a comp sci major. But back then, and I'm much older <laughs> than a lot of people, a comp sci major back when I was in college was a math major, and you got some programming with it. And I was not interested in being a math major. I was interested in the programming. And it turns out a computer science minor was just all the programming of the major and very little of the math. They cover like Boolean math, discrete math, but like comp sci math without calculus and everything else. And I'm like, yeah, let's do that. And in an ideal world, I would have been a double major, uh, both English comp sci, which would have been killer, but... I'm a blue collar kid and, you know, college is expensive and I worked, I worked full time through most of college and I just had to graduate and get a job. And I graduated during a recession in mass. I graduated in 1990 in Massachusetts and there was a computer boom in Massachusetts with like digital equipment corporation, you know, deck vaxes and wang. And that thing boomed and busted. It busted right as I graduated Hmm. and the um, internet had not taken off yet. And there was this kind of lull in between the mini computer, you know, Vax's revolution and then the internet revolution. And I also had the wrong degree. I, I ended up, I thought I wanted to be a tech writer. I got a, sm- I got a small taste of that. I'm like, I don't want to do any of that. I wanted to be a hands-on practitioner of computer. I, I didn't know exactly what, but some computer stuff. I knew I was good at it. I was already a good programmer. I'd taken the full programming load of a major. I'd taken assembly, and I aced all that, and I was clearly wired for it. I just didn't want the math. So I was trying to find a job that uh, without the, the right degree or any experience, right? And there was an ad in the Boston Globe for – I had some dumb job in a warehouse just to pay the bills. Uh, there was an ad the Boston Globe for a quote electronic shepherd. That's exactly it. It was a very vague ad, <laughs> and it turns out they were a dot com in 1991. And I just I stumbled into this blindly. You know, you can look back in your career and think how you were successful. Well, luck plays a big role. Like you have to remember that. You know, it's just you know you can create your own luck. You can network. Uh, we can talk about that, but ultimately there is luck involved. Just blind luck. And it turns out that company was called Omnet, and uh, they were oceanography. This guy named Robert Heinmiller. And uh, he, he was like MIT genius, uh, MIT tech model railroad. If, if you read the history of computers, MIT 1960s is one of the key places it happened. He was there. Like he played the first video game on, you know, there in person in the late 1960s. And he was an oceanographer, but he, he hung up with those folks. And it was just, to me, it was amazing to work side by side. So the electronic shepherd job was actually a help desk job, which I had no interest in. But they had another unadvertised position for a junior PC tech you know, unjam printers, run cables. And I remember it, it paid $21,000 a year and I got that job. <laughs> it made it, right? And uh, I quickly bootstrapped my way to Unix engineer because uh, I was intrigued by all that. And then, so I'll give myself credit for kind of two moments of clarity in my career. One was I saw the internet in 1991, a very different internet, obviously. And I, I just got one look at it. I'm like, that's my career for the rest of my career. I just knew it. And then two years later, working for a different company, a Japanese multinational. I won't. Ma- I mentioned Omnet because they don't exist anymore. But uh, there's a Japanese multinational company I work for next, whose name you definitely know. Their main R&D lab is in Cambridge, Mass. And I work for them. And we got hit with the first generation rootkit in 1993. Um, the term rootkit had not been invented yet. That's how long ago this was. But I, I ran across, I was doing incremental backups, and Daryl is a CISSP, you know what those are, right? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we literally, we shifted from full backups, which is, you know, one tape, all the data, to incremental backups, which is one tape, you know, 
the changes basically since the last full. And I was very suspicious of this setup. Like I, I was comfortable with full, but I wasn't comfortable with incremental because I hadn't done it. And a little paranoia goes a long way. I'm like, all right, I'll just on Monday I'll change some files. On Tuesday I'll open up, I'll open up the backup log and see what's in there, and make sure my files are there. You know, that's a good sysadmin kind of take on things. You know. So I changed three files on Monday. Tuesday, I opened up the file, uh, the backup log, and there's a file called passwords.txt in the <laughs> So it was slash dev, where device, devices go on, on Unix, slash zero, the number zero, not Z-E-R-O, the number zero. Mm-hmm. There is a dev Z-E-R-O, which is an infinite stream of zeros, but there's no dev number zero, slash passwords.txt. And I CD to dev. I typed ls slash dev slash zero, didn't show anything. I, I I did ls full full uh, full path of the file, including file name. Didn't show anything. Cd to the dev directory. Typed ls. Didn't show the zero directory. And then I cd to dev zero and cd let me. So cd was taking me to a directory that ls wouldn't show me. And I realized then we were hacked. And I ran into my boss's office and said, we're hacked. The server's hacked. And if you ever do this, by the way, uh, within about three minutes, there'll be four people standing around you. You know, feed away. You go, what's going on? What's going on? You're like, I'm now incident handling, not knowing what incident handling is, and I'm kind of navigating by like dead reckoning and gut instinct. And my president's standing three feet behind me, going, what, "What's the update? What's going on?" <laughs> I'm like, "Back off!" As politely as I can say, and handling that incident, I'm like, "All right, that's my career." Those two things: internet security. That was 90, 1993. I dedicated myself full time to it. Now I didn't find a full time info. It took me about a year to find a full time infosec job. Because there was no career back then. There were no titles. Was, this is no. none of that. No certs, nothing. But Boston University had in, uh, in, an InfoSec job, which was basically you know threat hunting on a you know double class B scale, and jumped over to that in '94. And yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so I think we've all Grant and I probably have had that same kind of case where we have all of a sudden you have a bunch of people standing around you going, "What's wrong? What's wrong? What's happening?" <laughs> I know I've had a few of those uh, incidents before in my career. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Understand. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, yes. Yeah. So you, <laughs> no. No one. Yeah, I I usually would get the phone calls because you know the previous job and whatnot. It was you know we mostly traveled solo. So when you'd find something to do something, it was a phone call and then another phone call and then another phone call. (laughs) And it's like, can you come into the office? It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, so again, you I mentioned before, you're actually speaking at B-Sides Halifax, which is a virtual one. Unfortunately, they're all going virtual now and there's conferences popping up left and right these days. It's insane. Um, so you're speaking at B-Sides, Halifax, May 22nd. Uh, we'll actually Next put Friday. the... Yeah, yeah, week from uh, tomorrow, actually. Uh, and it's actually a really good deal, $13.37. Yeah. And it's all going to feed Nova Scotia. So we'll put the uh, link in the show notes. Um, nice. But I've actually, you know, I've got a ticket for it. I'll be watching. And so I want you to tell us a, what, a little bit about your talk at uh, B-Sides, Halifax. What are you going to talk about? Sure. So, Daryl, it's it's the talk I initially pitched to you for the Atlantic Security Conference uh, this yeah. year. It is. Yeah. Uh, Nick asked me. You know, I was. You know, so I, I. You know, I was at Atlantic Security Conference last year in 2019. Mm-hmm. I got to meet well, not childhood hero, but uh, mid 20s hero Cliff Stoll, who was <laughs> literally a, a hero of mine. Like, you know, yeah. when I was handling, what I, 
going back to the story, I was living in Cambridge, Mass., working in Cambridge, Mass., and I, I, I mentioned this, you know, uh, and I was there was a I mentioned this on the stage at Atlantic Security Conference last year, last April. When I handled that incident, I had no idea what what I was doing. Obviously, <laughs> I had absolutely no there was no no roadmap. None of this existed. And I talked to an old graybeard. He's like, "You've got to buy the Cuckoo's Egg by Clifford Stoll. You have to buy that book." Um, and I walked down to Quantum Books in Kendall Square, long gone. I'm sure it's some restaurant or something now. But Quantum Books sold like you know geek books like that. And I bought the Cuckoo's Egg, you know, Volume One hardcover, which Cliff signed last year. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, so it was, it's, it's amazing to meet your idols. He's as 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 amazing as you'd think, and even more so. Mm-hmm. And um, so I wanted to come back, obviously, this year. My son, you know, uh, well, lived, <laughs> was in Halifax till everything changed, yeah. and we'll hopefully be back in the fall. And any excuse to the network, we'll talk about that in a bit, probably about advice for the industry. That's one of them, yeah. obviously. Yeah. And um, so um, pitched a talk on uh, threat hunting uh, via DNS. And, Daryl, you were nice enough to say, well, that's great. We want you to do a keynote, and can you make it broader? Yeah. And I'm like, Sure. Um, I can make it broader. And I've always been hesitant to give what I call like the old man Conrad talk of like the career retrospective, you know, because I'm, I'm still in it. I'm still working in the career. I, I don't want to look back. I want to talk about the, the cool stuff I'm doing now. Yeah. And we end up negotiating a deal where I'd give two talks, uh, the old man Conrad talk, which is, you know, InfoSec for the long haul, how to build an information security career that lasts. Mm-hmm. And I'm marrying that with a talk on threat hunting via DNS, a very hardcore, down and dirty, you know, practical, timely talk. And when Nick asked about, you know, offered me B-Size Halifax very kindly, and I've always wanted to speak at a B-Size, I just hadn't had time to do it. Now it's time, obviously. I said, well, I pitched two talks to Atlantic Security Conference, you know, pick one, and he, he picked a D- threat hunting via DNS. Yeah. So... What that talk is, it's threat hunting. So threat hunting, as I know you know, but maybe some people in the audience don't know, it's the presumption of compromise uh, of compromise, kind of operationalized, turned into a process. So the, the presumption of compromise says all networks are currently owned. If you're a defender, your network's compromised right now. And you should, you should believe that, work on that, and accept that and come up with plans and processes and operationalize the idea that you've missed something. On a big network, you have missed something. Now, if you have a small network, 10 systems, 100 systems, and you're well-funded and well-trained and have the right tools and everything else, maybe those 100 systems are secure. But you know, my last company, before I, I, I went solo, we had an 18,000-node win. Uh, we had hundreds of sites, over 300 sites. Most had their own independent internet connection. This is hospital it's a hospital chain across three states with doctor's offices and small offices and clinics. Now, a site could be a major metropolitan hospital. A site could be a house. But basically, 300 sites, 200-plus internet connections. And that company was owned by the, the Archdiocese of Boston, the Catholic Church of Boston. And we're nonprofit. And if you work for nonprofit, there's no money. There's no – you know, it's – obviously, we miss something, clearly, you know. And so the threat hunting is saying, okay, let's assume we've missed something. Accept that it's true. Now what? Right? That's threat hunting. And if you look at, so you need data to find out what compromises have we missed. You know, prevention will fail, initial detection will fail. What then, right? Threat hunting steps in. And in a Windows shop, the first source of logs I would look at are the Windows event logs. I think if you have good Windows event logging, that that catches almost everything, at least on a Windows system, right? Mm-hmm. And the next data source in a in a SIM or a SOC, Security Operations Center, I I would say is DNS data. Now, if your SOC is ingesting DNS data, it's normally for correlation, like you know, connecting one event to another. That's fine. Uh, but I like 
uh, DNS data as, as a threat hunting source. Actually define compromised systems based on DNS alone. At least the initial hint, maybe something's going on here. And it's changing, but the thing about DNS now is there's been a, a rapid revolution towards encrypted DNS. And we have DNS over HTTPS and DNS over TLS, two different things, by the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. But if essentially logging plain text DNS by sniffing it using Zeek or Bro is not effective if someone's using Firefox today because they're using DNS. And the, the difference, by the way, DNS over HTTPS uses port 443 and is simply encrypted web traffic to any sniffer. DNS over TLS is port 853. Both use TLS, but DNS over TLS uses port 853. So as a network architect defender, you can at least see, hey, this DNS traffic that's encrypted on port 853. If they're using DNS over TLS, over HTTPS, rather, that's port 443, that's just web traffic that's encrypted. Mm-hmm. And you cannot distinguish between, well, not easily, you can't distinguish someone just serving to a random website versus someone resolving DNS via a, a random, well, website that's encrypted. Ah, cool. Now I really want to sit stock. Yeah. <laughs> That's excellent. That's really good. Yeah. Now I know why I picked it. <laughs> Initially. Sorry, I should say why we all picked it. Right. It's like, oh, oh, Eric. Oh, yeah, okay. Sure. And, and, it, and it's literally changing, like, week by week. Yeah. The, the adoption of this stuff. Like, Firefox just arbitrarily decided, we're going to turn this on in the U.S. It's go. Yeah. And, like, a lot of companies are using DNOs over HTTPS, and they have no idea. And they think they're getting their DNS logs, but now they're getting none by sniffing them off the network. And they're getting zero from Firefox because Firefox has flipped that switch. Hmm. And it's, hmm. it's, so it's, it's changing. Like I, I, I've given talks on this subject before. Every time I update it, I've got to change a whole bunch of stuff because stuff changed like yesterday sometimes. Yeah. Well, yeah, huh. that's kind of, you know, that's like our industry in general. Everything changes <laughs> quickly. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's yeah. interesting. Oh, wow. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing that now. That's great. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. And the, that'd be the first talk of the day, right? I think I'm the last one, actually. All right. Oh, okay. One. I just saw the schedule today. Yeah. Okay. okay. I didn't see the schedule yet. I I, I also have a ticket. Yeah. So uh, yeah, there's like uh, Tanny Jacob and Anna Man- Anna Manly speaking, Dave Shipley, uh, and two other people I can't remember. <laughs> Naomi. Oh Naomi, and there's someone else from Ottawa who I've never actually uh, heard. I've never seen speak before. I can't remember his name, and I apologize. Yeah, same here. Um, so given all that, you know, busy schedule, you're teaching and all that stuff. So how are you keeping your skills current? Well, it's it's a requirement to be in the industry, and that's one of the uh, for the keynote I was going to give it. Uh, you know, Atlantic Security Conference, and I'll give in uh, some form in a year is, uh, you know, if you want to build your information security uh, career for the long haul, you have to commit yourself to a career of constant learning. And you need to, you, you can never, never hit cruise control. You can never ease up. You have to always be learning. And it, it helps if you enjoy it. Like, it really helps to do something for 29 years, as I have been, if you like it, <laughs> you know? And mm-hmm. I love this stuff. Like, my, my best friend, I was best man at his wedding. He was best man at my wedding. We actually, uh, he got married in Scotland. I wore a kilt because, you know, I, I've got the legs for it. Why not? Rock those legs. Uh, <laughs> not so much. But uh, I wore a kilt. And um, uh, he's a banker. And he, he doesn't like his job. 
I'm not going to mention his name because he'd be embarrassed me to say, but he makes good money. He has a good life. He has a nice house and he just doesn't like his job. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that sucks. You know, at least I get to do something that I like, you know? And so, uh, if you want to keep your skills current, well, th- that's your whole career. That that never stops. Whether you're 20 or 50, it doesn't, it never, never stops. And for me, like I'll give an example, uh, DerbyCon. I, I pitched a talk for DerbyCon. It, it helps to give yourself a deadline that you can't push off yourself, such as a conference talk. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's true. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I pitched a talk about this idea I had, which I hadn't written yet, called Deep Blue CLI, which now exists. And Deep Blue CLI is basically a PowerShell framework for threat hunting through Windows event logs. Because as I said, I think Windows event logs are the best source, DNS number two. And I thought PowerShell has these, PowerShell is an amazing language. Now, mm-hmm. I came from the Unix world, as you know. Mm-hmm. And PowerShell is it's crazy powerful language, but it's different enough to really, especially if you came up on Linux Unix, you've got to unlearn some stuff because pipes work totally different. <laughs> Unix Linux pipes pass text. PowerShell pipes pass objects. PowerShell is actually more powerful uh, than Bash. It is. and But if you learn the other way, it, it hurt my brain. And so I pitched this idea for a talk, and PowerShell is the way to go because PowerShell can adjust Windows event logs very, very, very well. If, you, if you're using a vent view to look at Windows event logs, stop. Use PowerShell. But there's a learning curve there. So I pitched this idea for an automated framework to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Search for signs of malice. I hadn't written that. I had learned maybe the longest PowerShell script I'd written was probably 10 lines. And now I'm pitching the idea for this, like, you know, 500,000-line framework. And I got the uh, your accepted talk. And for DerbyCon, which is now sadly retired, but you get you go through these various stages of grief very quickly. You're like, elation, yes, yes, they accept my talk. Yes, yes, oh, crap. <laughs> O-M-F-G, I have to do this. <laughs> yeah. What have I done to myself? Why? Why? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All the, you know, neglect, uh, regret and bargaining and acceptance, and I'm going to learn a lot of PowerShell really quickly. Mm-hmm. And I bought every PowerShell book that there uh, there was. And by the way, the the PowerShell cookbook by Lee Holmes, uh, my sign of uh, approval. Mm-hmm. And um, I just hunkered down and learned it. I'm now I'm no PowerShell expert. I'm not claiming to be, but it helps to just give yourself a goal like that. Like I remember when when Python first came out and got like kind of hot. Not when it first came out, it's been around a long time. But when it got like hot, the thing. I'm like an old. I've, I've learned many languages. Perl was my go-to thing. I, you know, Perl. I could write Perl. It's not now, but ten years ago, I could I could write I could write a, a program as fast as I could type it. And that's no longer true because I don't use much Perl. And I was about to take on a, a new task involving network sockets. And Perl isn't good at that. I mean, I could do it, but it's just not, in my opinion, good at that. I'm like, I could write this in Perl in about a half an hour, but why don't I write it in Python? And it took me like eight hours, but because yeah, I'm learning as I'm, and it's one of these things. Same thing with PowerShell, you know, one line of code is like Google search, Google search, Google search, line of code. Next line is like Google search, line of. <laughs> it's very halting, and it feels really awkward and kind of herky jerky, and it feels uncomfortable. And I know as an instructor, I see the students. A lot of students really dislike that feeling of not knowing what to do. You throw some brand new tool in front of someone they've never seen before. Some people really recoil at that. They don't like it. And what I've learned is if you always know the obvious thing, if you always know where to click, if you always know where to type, you're no longer learning. You're just repeating what you learned before. Hmm. And you really have to push yourself out of your comfort zone and take on challenges that you're not technically qualified to do, such as 
give a talk on a PowerShell framework at DerbyCon. Oh, by the way, Lee Holmes, who wrote the PowerShell uh, cookbook and one of the lead developers of PowerShell, and Jeffrey Snover, Microsoft fellow, sat in the first row when I gave my talk at DerbyCon. They sat in the first row. <laughs> <laughs> and, <I'm> no <laughs> and hilariously, wow. my microphone broke. And it went, there's like 300 people in this ballroom. Yeah. And my microphone broke, and, and there was no video crew. And I stopped basically bellowing and yelling into the room. Lee Holmes and Jeffrey Snover ran behind the stage, fixed my whatever layer one problem was going on with the audio equipment. They literally fixed my mic. A Microsoft <laughs> fellow. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> But yeah, you have to leave your comfort zone. And, and it comes up a lot. Like I, a friend of mine had never done any virtualization. His company had no virtualization. I'm like, you know what? The next time you bring a new service online, virtualize it. He's like, I don't know how to do that. I'm like, listen, we'll figure it out. You know, you can stand up a VM in like Amazon's cloud for 10 bucks a month, a cheap Linux VM or, or DigitalOcean, five bucks a month. I'm like, why don't you virtualize something in DigitalOcean's cloud for five bucks a month, US? And, and he did. Mm -hmm. And or maybe you know virtualization, but you've never done containers, and your company's standing up stuff the old way. What, build a lab and try it in a container, and you're thinking, I don't know anything about containers. Well, today you don't, but in a year you will. Mm -hmm. So I, you just need to leave your comfort zone. And a lot of people, it's funny when you when people come out of college, they scramble, they're hungry, they learn stuff, and then a lot of people stop doing that. And it may be other careers you could do that. You, you can't do that here. You have to always have that hungry, scrambly feeling. I certainly have. Mm -hmm. No, yeah. I'm, I'm the same way. Like, I will not be where I am now in the industry if I'm not constantly learning. Well, it's, well I mean, it's, you, yeah. can't, you can't stop because no, our can't. industry evolves day by day. But, yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you're saying, like, you know, like the people, uh, the students in your class, you, you see them get kind of uncomfortable because yep. they're doing the constant googling and then you're like copying one page like yeah that takes forever and i that's my issue i've sat down to learn some languages and stuff like that and when i'm starting to just copy paste or if i'm just trying to find this solution like it's you get really uncomfortable and yep. then eventually it just starts gathering dust on your desk right so i know one thing that i've always wanted to learn uh to get more proficient at was Ruby. So that's, sure. I'm sitting down and I'm just, that's what I'm doing. I finally found a book. Uh, well, it's an online book, uh, rubyfoo.net, I think it is. Um, and there's just like challenge yourself type stuff. So I'm yep. just like, you know what, that's, I'm going to sit down and do those. Yeah. Well, that's like, um, speaking of another conference, tomorrow, NorthSec in Montreal, they're now gone virtual. And uh, they're actually having a conference tomorrow, but they also had um, limited seating free workshops. And I managed to snag a seat in the Intro to Digital Forensics workshop tomorrow. Nice. Oh, nice. It's, a three, it's, it's only three hours, but it's like that's something I've never done before. Sure. So, and, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And like, I actually got up at like 6.30 in the morning, got it, the tickets went on sale at 6.30 in the morning. There's only 20 <laughs> awesome. seats. Awesome. Well, they're not sale, they're free. Like the tickets are totally free. <laughs> yeah. So it's like fantastic. So that's the thing. Like, you know, it's something I've never done, but I said, you know something, heck with it, I'm going to try it. Especially too, you know, it's literally no cost. So I said, it can't hurt. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. So, uh, but yeah, so again, we're kind of speaking of skills while we're on that topic. So I'm not sure, I'm sure, well, you guys are aware, other people might be aware out there too, that there's been this recent flurry of activity around the CISSP certification, especially uh, coming from IC squared, the uh, kind of governing body behind the certification. 
And I will kind of say this is kind of the quick little summary of what they came out with yesterday. The CISSP certification has been found comparable to level 7 of the regulated qualifications framework, brackets RQF, in the UK, which denotes that the certification is comparable to a master's degree standard. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, that's what a lot of people were doing when they read that and maybe shaking their heads like okay so you know for the record you know I, I'm a CISSP me too you know, and again, I'm not no <laughs> so, <laughs> but again like sure like it was you know I worked hard to get my CISSP but not right. that hard no yeah, I post that on Twitter it's like there's no like I could not imagine like, even pe- if, even if I thought I was at that level like I'd be like yep. I shouldn't be no way it's and like, I took the CISSP for me was just a learning experience, but that was it. Right. Um, I don't know. I just kind of find it's like I'm just. I was like, I read that. I was like, what the heck? Seriously? Yeah. yeah when I first saw that on Twitter, and uh, you know, it's I often like every few months, every four or six months, is this like dust up on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Someone starts trashing certifications. It's pointless. Blah blah blah. Yeah. And obviously, I have some skin in this game, as you know. I author two CISSP books. I also co-author of the CISP class for SANS, Management 414. I have skin in this game. I think this is patently crazy. This is completely bonkers, in my opinion. Um, but uh, I have some biases here. And I saw this dust, but you know, every four or six months, someone starts trashing certs as being pointless. And mm-hmm. and I, I just stay out of this because I obviously have my biases. And so when this first started dusting up, I, I, I didn't pay a lot of attention to it because I thought it was more of the same. No, this is this is a whole different thing. Yeah. Then I saw uh, Wim, Re- uh, Wim Reams. It's W-I-M-R-E-M-E-S. Mm-hmm. That's his Twitter handle. He was on the board of IIC Squared. He just recently left IIC Squared under... Uh, NDA controlled, uh, you know, he's under NDA, he can't say, but he he left the ethics committee, and um, we don't know why, but you could kind of paint that picture, and he's like, my NDA forbids me from saying uh, why, but, you know, it's clearly he's leaving over some, seems to me, I don't know, ethical yeah. <laughs> issue is how I read that. So mm-hmm. Wim Reem said, this is utter BS, and he spelled BS. Mm-hmm. Again, th- this is former IC Squared board member Wim Reem. This is not some rando on Twitter, you know, ranting. Mm-hmm. And then speaking of Dave Lewis, yeah. Dave Lewis said, also former IC Squared board member, this is a joke, right? I know I've been in lockdown for a while working on my day job and an actual master's degree, but I didn't realize it was April uh, 1st again. And <laughs> yeah, and that's, you can, that's, you look at Dave Lewis's Twitter hang, handle is Gattaca, G-A-T-T-A-C-A. Wim Reams is Wim Reams. You can just, you know, look at them on Twitter. You'll see I'm, I'm quoting there. There's an article in Information Security Magazine on this. And when I read the article, I'm like, I still don't believe this. And I, I say this, I have a master's degree. And I clearly have a CISSP. And I agree with Daryl that there was absolutely no comparison. There was a, a level of dif- difficulty, or it's just—it's not even—it's night and day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's farcical on its face. Like I didn't believe it, but yeah. And, and Daryl said it. And so I did the research. I went to um, UK NARIC site, N-A-R-I-C, and it's equivalent. It, it, so. I think, and I have no official role with IC Squared. I don't know what's going on. I, I'm a dues-paying member, just like Daryl is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a credentialed holder, as they call us, and I'm a dues-paying member. That's my. It's at the end of my involvement with IC Squared. So I have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. But what I sense is happening is the U.S. had this thing. U.S. military government had this thing called. 80, it doesn't matter. 8570 was. This, my, my company had a 12-year contract with U.S. DoD, and uh, you need this sir to get this job. 
Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening was the initial cert they had for this is it reminds me of this for what they call a computer network defense analyst, CND analyst, like you're staffing an IDS. You're actually your day to day job for dot mill, a U.S. military defending against nation state is I'm staffing this IDS like you need these certs. And one of the certs was the SANS um, packet analysis class, uh, SANS Security 503, which is a really hard class. It's a really hard cert to pass. I have that cert as well. You learn like you're carving up packets, TCB dump. BPF Berkeley packet filters. It's binary math, bit masking. You're carving out the evil bit. It's 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 no joke, and it, it was so hard that they couldn't fill. My sense was, the cert was so difficult that they couldn't fill roles. They couldn't fill uh, requisitions for jobs because not enough people had the cert. Then someone must have said, "Let's find a different cert. Let's find an easier cert," mm-hmm. and they did. And they decided uh, CEH was a good cert for that. Now CEH is Certified <laughs> Ethical Hacker. Yeah. I have a lot of opinions on that cert, none good. But whatever you think about that cert, good or bad, it's not a blue team cert. It's not a de- it's not a defense. It's, no. it's it's a pen testing cert. It's not a, a defense cert. It's an offense cert. Mm-hmm. And yes, blue teamers know thy enemy, but that's like what five percent of what we need to know. Anyways, I think they did that so more people would qualify. You know, they lowered the bar to get more people. So my sense in the UK, and I don't really know, but I've been reading about this since it happened. They're trying to fill roles that require a master's degree. They probably have like 300 positions and 17 master's candidates. What's equivalent here? It's my, I don't know. That's my yeah. sense. Hmm. CIC yeah. is yeah. equivalent. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. No, there's no way. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, I just, yeah, I, I just couldn't imagine. Yeah. Like, and, and you, know, you know, I've talked to other, some other people about this, and some of you actually, a friend of mine who actually doesn't have a CISP, you say, well, do you feel embarrassed at all now that you have your CISP? <laughs> like, no, I don't. I've never, I've never been embarrassed to have a CISP. I will proudly say I am a CISP because it, you know, basically it's like I, it was, I worked hard to get here, but at the same time, like, there's no way I can be a master's level. And frankly, it's like I, people say, oh, you're a cybersecurity expert. I say, no, I'm not. Right. Because the industry, everything changes too quickly to keep up with everything. Right. There's no way I like I like I don't really like that term subject matter expert. I don't. I'm not an SME. Yeah. I, don't I never liked the. I never really liked I, that I never, either. I never liked it. And like you know, master like comparing this to a master's level. Like, oh, like really seriously? Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't. I don't know what's uh, going to come out of this, but um, I don't. I don't know. A lot of people might be letting their CISSPs lapse. I have a feeling after this. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I mean, it's obviously good for them. You know. I'm, yeah. I, you know, but it's, I don't know. No, I, I haven't found anyone that disagrees with me. You, you Daryl, I haven't found a single person. Who, no. We all have the same exact take. Yeah. And, yeah. And we all have this. People I've talked to are CISSPs. Many are also have a master's degree. And like, everyone's like, that's a joke. Yeah. Yeah. So, I've, se- I've seen a few different opinions, mostly on LinkedIn, actually. Really? Uh, <laughs> about it, <laughs> which I'm not surprised. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. It's going to be a, Interesting take and see what happens after this. But oh, I'm the first hmm? the first thing that crossed my mind when I saw the post, I was just like, "Is this some sort of marketing gimmick?" That was kind of my take on it. But I mean, I, I know I'm speaking as an outsider here. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But yeah. I was kind of like, "Did this is this a paid article?" <laughs> That's kind of what, because it was just such a bizarre. It was just yeah. bizarre. Yeah, it kind, right? of came out, it kind of came out of the blue. And as you said, like, it, it makes sense now, though, because literally the day before, Wim <laughs> said he was leaving IC school. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Now I know. 
Yeah. Oh, well, that's too bad. But again, that's one of those people. Wim has always been one of those people. Actually, I've chatted with him on Twitter all the yeah. time oh, for years. Fantastic guy. Yeah, he was the one like, you know, I obviously I'm, I'm, I'm involved in this world. And it is, a, I don't know, it is a bit embarrassing to me because I've got a lot of skin in this game. I see him do things that, you know, me and everyone I know disagrees with. But yeah. I remember uh, when Wim ran for board, I was so on board with that idea. And if you're a CISSP and you're hearing this, please vote in the elections. Every year, please mm-hmm. vote. Yeah. And I, I tell all my students to vote. Mostly, it's, I'm sure it's like, I'm sure like 5% or less vote. Mm-hmm. And I looked at the board of directors before Wim ran. And I didn't recognize a single name on the list. And these are all like infosec practitioners, and I know a lot of people. Like I taught on four continents last year. Like I meet a mm. lot of people, and I focus on networking. And I know I, I'm not saying I should know everyone on the board, but I should recognize at least one name. I didn't yeah. recognize a single name on the board. Yeah, this last round, uh, same thing. Like you know, when, yeah. when when Dave was running, I was like, oh, you yeah. got my vote. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. You know, and. and yeah. Yeah. Wim ran, and I'm like everyone. I'm like vote your conscience, but vote, but but yeah. vote, just vote, just vote. And Wim won. Uh, he he won. I was so excited, and he really tried hard to modernize the cert because before he ran, I literally had to teach about token ring. Token oh, ring. Wow. Are you serious? Like token <laughs> wow. ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Are you, are you kidding me? Token ring. Come on, people. The only time we're talking about token ring is when we're 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 dismantling it. We're taking it over <laughs> yeah. in some crazy legacy mainframe environment. Yeah. And he worked hard on modernization. He was on the ethics board. And, and I, I, I've never met him, but I know his name. I recognize yeah. his work. He's in the field. Yeah. And we need more people in the field actually doing what we're doing. And so I was so excited. Dave Lewis, too. So if you're hearing this, please, please vote. Because mm-hmm. the, the only way it changed, the only, only way token ring goes away or someone calls <laughs> out this crazy you know, insanity of this being equivalent is people with power, meaning on the board, speaking up. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh, well said. And actually, for the record, I still have a CF, my CISSP cert or certificate w- that's signed by Wim and Dave. Nice. <laughs> I still have nice. it. St- I still actually have it. I'm going to keep that's it awesome. now. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> actually, I should take a picture of it and send it to both of them and say, look, guys, I still have this. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely going to be interesting next little while. Well, until the next thing happens, I guess. But uh no, this is uh, going to be a good one yep. to uh, follow. Yeah. Well, do you have any advice for anyone like starting in the industry? Obviously, we talked about maintaining and all that stuff, but that's anyone that's looking to get into pen testing or or you know defense because you do both. Yep. Right. Uh, well, the the uh, the idea I had for the talk, and I haven't written the talk yet for um, a later security conference, twenty twenty one now. You know, kind of building your career for the long haul. And I had three basic parts of that. And we've touched heavily on one, which is always be learning. That's one of the kind of three legs of the stool. And another thing that you need to keep in mind, you know, so that that's pretty straightforward. But you want to make sure that the second part is it's your career, not your, your employer's career. And what I mean by that is you, sh- it, it, you know, sometimes like many times people take – their employer has them do something for their, their career that benefits the employer that harms you specifically what happens is it happened to me it happened to seth who uh, i partner with you can only get a promotion if you become management like you've run out of promotions uh as as a hands-on practitioner you're at the end of the org chart and if you want that for me it was getting promoted from manager to director i was told of that last job i mentioned as a you know the healthcare company 
if you want to get make director, you put a suit on and you stop touching technology. And if I did that, my career would have died that day, right? So remember, it's your career, not your employer's. And I don't mean that as any kind of like, you know, combative thing. You know, if, if your employer is trying to make you do things like, you know, as far, as far as your career goals or steering in a direction that you're not interested in, your passion doesn't lead you to. But you, many people take that deal with the devil to make more money. But the problem going from hands on to management, that's a one way trip usually. Yeah. Like it's hard to come back, right? Now, if, if your passion is management, you want to hire people and fire people and fill out TPS reports and all that, do that. <laughs> That's fine, right? But PC I low letter. That, right? <laughs> Someone else wants to do that, not me. So just remember it's your career. That's the second part. And the third part is one of the reasons I'm here is networking. You know, why am I here? I'm here because I met Daryl online and we connected somehow. And you really need to network. Uh, you need to know people. If, if only people you know... If the only people who know you're awesome are your direct coworkers, you're making a mistake. And it's it's an easy mistake to make in your 20s, and I did. But at some point, you may have to find a job, you know, maybe by choice, maybe by not. But in a long career, you're going to change jobs most likely, right? Mm -hmm. And as 29-year retrospective here, I've been through multiple rounds of layoffs. I've had companies shut down all the way. We're in a time of extreme economic uncertainty right now. I'm seeing people being laid off, you know, well-known people online in the, in the industry, suddenly jobless. And one of the things that can really help you survive that is knowing people. And it's hard for an introvert, and I am introverted, believe it or not. I am privately introverted. So it's hard to be the extroverted type of like, hey, my name's Eric Conrad. And, you know, I'm, I'm very useless at cocktail parties, doctors and lawyers. I am, I am pointless. I am. I am naturally introverted. But... What I tell introverts, because introverts get concerned about networking, what I tell them is like, how do you act when the doors close and it's you and your best friends? Like, you're probably not introverted then. You're yourself, right? And then you shut down at a cocktail party, as I do, because I don't trust those people, right? <laughs> <laughs> I trust my friends, and we're all friends. We're, we're all nerds, and I mean that as a compliment, by the way. If I call you a geek or a nerd, that's a compliment. Uh, I have to specify that because people take it the wrong way. But... Uh, you like what I like. You're interested in what I'm interested in. We love this technology stuff. We're geeking out in this stuff right now. You're my friend. So you get the version of me my friends get. I've social engineered my brain to consider you friends. And I've gotten to know Daryl like, much more than that now. But you know, networking, if you're extroverted, that's easy. But a lot of IT people aren't extroverted. And they get stuck on the networking part. But uh, I, I didn't network in my 20s. And the company shut all the way down. Like they literally locked the doors. And I remember my, my daughter, Emma, who is now 18, uh, she was born, I got laid off 10 days after she was born. So I had a 10-day-old daughter at home and a one-and-a-half-year-old son at home, no job. Mom's at, mom's at home with the kids, no job. And I, I was unemployed for seven weeks. Now, seven weeks might not sound like much, but that's the first time since I was 12 years old that I didn't have a job. Like, I'm a worker. When I was 12 years old, I could apply for a paper route. I did and I, ever since. And I didn't have any certifications, which I fixed right away. I had networked. And I realized I need to be better at what I do. I need to get certs. And what do you think certs are good or bad, by the way? Again, I'm biased. It doesn't matter what you think. The tribe is voting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The tribe is voting. They're important in some areas of the, of the industry. And CISSP, for all the you know, stones we've been throwing at it, it's still very valuable. I, I disagree with this move by them. But if you don't have those five letters, you're not getting some jobs. That's, mm -hmm. that's the cold reality. you know. And so to me, I don't care whether – what, what I think doesn't matter. If I can get this job with those five letters or I can't if I don't, 
I'm getting, which is exactly why I got my CISP, by the way, and network. Because when the music stops, when things, or when you want to make a change just because you want to make a change, or maybe a change happens that's forced on you, which is happening to a lot of our peers right now, it really, really helps to know people. It really helps when you send out a tweet and your friends retweet it, you know, um, when you can pick up a phone because a lot of jobs never get advertised. So mm-hmm. that's my, that, that's basically the, the, the thesis of the, my uh, next year's uh, Linux security conference keynote. There you go. <laughs> Sneak preview. <laughs> that's fantastic. No. And, uh, I think uh, Grant would probably agree with me that him and I are both, uh, we've kind of followed the same route and we wouldn't be where we are now if it wasn't for networking. Nope. Yeah. No, I, I was, yeah. I, I, I was going to say that exact same thing. Like, I would not have the job I have right now if it wasn't for going out and putting myself out there, starting talking at conferences and, mm-hmm. you know, and I know, like talking at conferences is a huge thing because you know there's 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 a lot of uncertainty because like oh, yeah. people are in the room and da da da, yep. and you don't know these people, but yep. you know they are there to see what you have to say. Your talk is interesting to them, mm-hmm. so you know I, I've I've spoken in a room where there was only three people that showed up. Yep, and I've yeah. spoken in rooms where there was you know you know they had to call to get more chairs, which is yep. really neat. But yeah. it's just you know, you gotta you gotta take that risk, and uh, you know well, yeah yeah it, it, well it paid off right yeah <laughs> yeah well that's me basically every job I've had since 2011 as is been a direct result of me being involved with the Link Security Conference yep and through the contacts I've made there yep and I think the longest I've ever been unemployed in between jobs was three weeks yep. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and you know, there's been a few of the positions like the excellent again, they weren't advertised. Said, Oh, we're looking for people. Somebody wants to talk to you. Here, here's their contact information. Yeah. You know, it's you know but again too, like I'm like you, Eric, like I'm a huge introvert as well. Yeah. But I do talks just to push myself, get myself out there and I'm terrified and then yep. I'll do it and I'm like, Oh, I'm never gonna do that again and then but maybe three or four months later I'm getting the itch again to do one. Well, lest anyone listen to this, you know, I, I'm obviously a public speaker. As a child, I started so badly, I could not get a sentence out, right? And no one, as, as a child, no one, my parents, my, my teachers, me, had anyone predicted this is my career, we all would have laughed our heads off, me included. So I had that same terrible stage fright, that same fear, maybe more so than people who don't start because there's a whole other layer of that. And I just decided to take that crazy leap of faith to get in front of it. And it's a scary, scary thing. It is. If you're feeling that fear, believe me, I felt that yeah. <laughs> And, and yeah. it, it doesn't really end. Like the Atlantic Security Conference last year, I'm in the ballroom. There's like 300 people looking at me. I'm like, yeah. here we go. Here yeah. we go. And, and yeah. you think you might think I'm calm, cool, and collected. I'm not. And that's okay. It's kind of like it's leaving your comfort zone in a different way. I talked about technology where it's uncomfortable. You don't know the language. You know, three Google searches, one line of code. You know, it's it's a different form of being uncomfortable. It's the same thing speaking. But if, if you leave your, your comfort zone, and you don't have to speak publicly to network. No. And if you want to get started no. on speaking publicly, Toastmasters is a great way to start, by the way. But – for me, the, the biggest difference in my career to throw things into overdrive was the first time I walked in front of a room full of strangers and started talking. It was the scariest thing I've done, one of the scariest things. But, man, it was the most important thing for moving my career forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and um, actually it's funny too. And, again, of course, this is back – I'm referring to something you could do back when we actually could get together at conferences uh, physically anyway. Um, volunteer. 
that's one yeah. thing because technically that's what happened to me so another part of kind of going to a little story here uh so i remember the first year uh lance gary conference i saw online first it was through the first besides halifax and i was like oh cool i'm my i'm my go to this and so but then i heard oh it was and it was actually affiliated with uh, atl secon this new conference starting in halifax by uh, you know uh, travis barlow and I was like, oh, interesting. So through LinkedIn, I sent him a message about ATLs, asked him some questions. There you and go. I said, and then so a back and forth. So he said, so I said, okay, I'm going to come. And then he said, oh, by the way, he said, here, give me a call. He said, uh, when you get in town, I'll come for dinner with a bunch of us the night before. So I said, okay, sure. And again, too, I was even more of an introvert back then. I was like, <laughs> like I think I literally paced the building three times before I actually went in because I was like, what am I doing? So I went in and I was there. There was, there was me and Travis. I'd never met the guy before. And then me and Travis and uh, a couple, I think uh, there was a Cisco rep there, one of the sponsors, and a couple of the speakers had a great time. They said, hey, we're going to go fill bags. This is, you know, back, like it was literally yeah. one room at the convention center, one track. And he said, oh, we're going back to want to fill bags? I was like, sure. So I went back there and then, you know, then the next two years, I just kept going to conference. Then now I'm one, I'm one of the organizers. And it's cool. like, I was, but again, if you just put yourself out there, Especially, and, but volunteering, like volunteering in this conference, I think is what the biggest things you do if you're trying to break into the industry. I agree. But, but again, hopefully uh, you, <laughs> next year we can do it. And if you're interested in volunteering at ATL SciCon, let us know. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so hopefully next year, Eric, we'll be able to uh, have a beer or three. I can, I'll buy you a few rounds at uh, maybe at, uh, Two Crows in Halifax. Yeah, Two Crows sounds good. We usually stay at the hotel right there, the uh, the Homeward Suites. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's right in front. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah. So uh, I, I've been known to go Two Crows more than a few times when I go to Halifax. All right. It's a deal. Yeah. But uh, again, thanks again, Eric. Really appreciate having you on. It's, uh, it's been fantastic. Yeah, thanks yes. for that. Yeah. So uh, again, hopefully we'll see you next year face-to-face. And uh We'll be watching you on May 22nd. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. All right. Awesome. So, yeah. So, uh, that's it, folks, for uh, this episode of the East Coast InfoSec Podcast. Where can they find us on Twitter, Grant? At East InfoSec. Yeah, and you can also email us at InfoSec at gmail.com. And our website is uh, East, Coast, East Coast InfoSec. East, yeah. I get it wrong <laughs> every time. It's East Coast InfoSec.ca. Yeah. And all right. So we'll uh, speak to you next time, folks. All right. See ya. See ya.